0: You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hello and welcome to On the Daily, a Rotoviz podcast talking daily fantasy sports. Uh, my name is Matt Lamarca. I am a employee of Fantasy Labs and the Action Network. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Lamarca. And I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts. First up, we have my co-host for the laying the points podcast. His work has appeared all over the daily fantasy sports industry. He is a jack of all trades, master of none, Mr. Anthony Amico.
1: Hey, what's up? Yeah, I mean, jack of jack of even less trades, I think by the day. I'm not sure Um, (laughs) (laughs) because football's here and I'm really just I'm really just focused on football. So baseball can kind of F off right now. That's it. The tennis modeling is done. I mean, until they change the scoring and it's not like just picking winners, there's nothing, there's nothing to model. It's just garbage.
0: All right. That's fair. My other co-host, he is, uh, probably within the matter of a few hours going to be a proud papa. He's the host of the bogey free podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Jones He is Matt Jones.
1: What's up, man? I'm uh yeah, we're we're coming right up on it right now. We're uh, we're headed to the hospital in less than five hours. So man. yeah, there's uh there's lots going on at the Jones house right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, me and Amiko are very uh jealous of your wife setup. Like <laughs> I I I don't know what she looks like or anything like that. I don't <laughs> want it to come across the wrong way. But the fact that she was like, Oh, you know, we have a evening schedule, so you can do your podcast in the afternoon, that's just like that's goals right there.
1: I know. I was like, yeah, babe, we're going to record at like two probably is the plan. And she's like, oh, perfect. We're going to the hospital at seven. I was like, all right. <laughs> it was way easier than I thought it was going to be. So that's perfect.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, before we start
0: today, I just want to mention a few things. First, you can get a 30% discount to a Rotoviz subscription through the podcast homepage. That is rotoviz.com slash podcast. Uh, I saw recently that Sean Siegel put out his top 15 zero RB targets, which is always something that I like to know going into my drafts. I think uh, that's a huge, huge advantage that you can have. So make sure to take advantage of that. Get your uh, discount to the RotoViz subscription and get that information to dominate your drafts. We also just recently launched a RotoViz Patreon account. That is patreon.com/slash RotoVizRadio. Uh, We're going to have upwards of 10 weekly podcasts during the NFL season, so becoming a patron helps support all the stuff we're doing here at roto You also get access to a new live show, which will be airing on Sunday mornings before football. Uh, I believe the first one ran this past Sunday. Amico, I know you were a part of that. Sounded like everything went well there. Any comments?
1: It's good times. I mean, we're just trying to get all the info out to the people once we have... Uh, like the continuous dfs slates on sunday it'll be a lot more like answering your questions and making sure that you're ready for the slate so right now it's just more uh like general stuff kind of like the show is and then once we get into it it's going to be very detailed
0: yeah and that's basically next week that's going to be happening so yeah yeah, make sure to to hop on and take advantage of that Uh, i think after a certain amount of time you also get a t-shirt which is pretty cool um, also, make sure to just rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Uh, we appreciate all the love from the people. All right. Today's show, we're going to be talking general NFL DFS strategy. Uh, last week, we talked cash game strategy. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, I would go ahead and check that one out first because I'm sure there is going to be some overlap. Um, and we're also going to be referencing to some of the things we talked about on that show. So I would, uh, say that that's probably where you want to start if this is your first time listening to us. Um, GPPs though, that's, that's the, where the real money is in DFS. Those are the sexy tournaments where you can, you know, become a, a millionaire overnight. So that's obviously where a lot of the attention is play, uh, is placed in DFS these days. There are different styles of GPPs. You've got your single entry tournaments and your multi entry tournaments. And obviously these can have different strategies. Let's start with single-entry GPPs. We're going to make this real brief because I think all of us want to talk more about multi-entries, and I'm sure you want to listen more about multi-entries, but let's just briefly run through this stuff. So let's start with you, Amiko. How large a part of your portfolio would you say you focus on single-entry GPPs?
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on the week for me, but I think that if I'm going to play maybe... uh, 2% of my bankroll every week in tournaments, uh, I'd probably say maybe 20% of that is going to be devoted to single entry. If I'm feeling like it's not a great multi-entry week, like I'll definitely bump that up. But uh, I try to run like one lineup in a bunch of the singles and then like use that lineup as one of my uh, MME teams.
0: Okay. So that's actually more than I would have thought. 20%. Twenty percent. That's like a not insignificant amount there.
1: Yeah, I I like the single entries. I think it's nice because uh it gives you a little bit more of an edge when you're contrarian, and uh, I just like the prize structures are usually very very fair in those tournaments.
0: That's true, uh, Jonesy. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I I love single entries. Um, I would say that mo probably most of my GPP money goes towards like the smaller entry whether it's single or like a three entry max like i i live in those areas i I don't go crazy on like the because i'm not playing enough to like max out anything but like you know the the mini max or whatever so i i like playing like whether it's the fair catch or the pylon like they have decent payout structures right they have sig not like life-changing money, but significant money up at the top. So I, I definitely like, uh, playing some single entries.
0: Okay. So this is good. Cause then we'll have a lot of different viewpoints because I basically never play them. <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. like my philosophy is that, uh, and maybe this is just me personally, but I just want as many shots as possible to come up with the right combination of players. You know, uh, maybe that's because that's kind of how I started playing DFS was in NBA back in the day where you could put like 500 <laughs> entries in a tournament. But that's kind of just like how I got started on this stuff. So I personally like the uh, the multi entries better. And I just feel like my strategies in single entries are not ideal. Like I either end up playing like a lineup that's too close to my cash lineup or I go like a little too crazy. So let's talk about that. I think a lot of people honestly just throw their cash game lineups into a single entry tournament, you know, thinking like, oh, if this is a week where I have a really good cash team, I'll make some extra money this way. What do you think about that philosophy? Do you think that's like a minus EV thing long term? Let's start with uh, Jones this time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're pretty confident in your lineup if you're just running your straight cash lineup into – uh, GPP. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I think you probably are giving up some ceiling there. Um, so I don't typically do that. I would say that most of the time I'm really going with, um, like a a pretty close to my cash core and then sort of mixing and matching elsewhere to try to, to reach some sort of a ceiling. Okay. amigo. Yeah, it's not really something that I do a lot. Like I try to make my single entry teams genuine GPP teams, but I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. If you're like a heads up player, kind of like what we were talking about in the last show, like if you're playing, if you're playing head to heads, then you should be looking for a little more variance in your lineups. And if you are doing that, then there is, there is probably like a little bit more of a ceiling to your cash lineup. Uh, something that like in a smaller field or a single entry, like maybe you could place uh, pretty high.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's better than doing nothing, right? Like I yeah. think you at least want to give yourself some ceiling, regardless of what kind of games you're playing. Like, even if you're a cash game grinder, you want to throw, you want to have some GPP exposure, even if it's only with your cash game team, just mm-hmm. because that's how you're going to get your ceiling every week. But I do think that for the most part, you want to make some tweaks here and there, like Joan said, to try and give yourself some more variance maybe and, and increase the ceiling. Um, what tweaks are you making to your strategy, if any, when you're in a single-entry tournament versus a GPP, a multi-entry GPP? Amico. Uh
1: So, I mean, I think in single-entry, like, you can, you can obviously do uh, less and still be, like, ahead of the field. Uh, the guys that are chalky will probably be even more chalky. The guys who are contrarian will probably be uh, even more contrarian, but I actually like to be, I probably try to be even more contrarian in my single entries because I, for what I just said, like I just I actually think you get like a better edge over the field in like these large field tournaments. Like you obviously want to have guys who are low owned, but like you're gonna have enough lineups where you, you 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 might not have every lineup be like a super contrarian lineup and if I'm doing a single entry like I really want to make sure that that lineup has uh you know a cumulative ownership maybe of like a hundred and fifty percent you know something something fairly low
0: yeah I think that makes sense too and like in a single entry GPP if you have a guy that's one percent owned that can make a you know that can rocket you up the leaderboard and that same guy might be 5% owned in a multi-entry GPP. Exactly. Like, to get a 1% owned guy in a multi-entry GPP, you have to go really, really, really off the board. But you don't have to do that so much in a single entry. Um, Jones, you have any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I-, I was thinking about it when I was looking through this. And I think, like, just looking at single entries by themselves, like, the more possible entries there are in the tournament the more willing i am to sort of go a little bit off the board and try to be a little bit more contrarian um if i'm playing a a single entry that only has like i don't know like 1200 to 1500 entrants in it i'm not gonna go crazy but if it's you know you get up to like the 30k entries and you're, you need to do something <laughs> to to get that ceiling so um Yeah, I I pretty much agree with all what you guys were saying.
0: Yeah, that's another good point, too. I think the size of the field should definitely be a factor that you're considering. Okay, let's move on to multi-entries now. This is where I was, you know, we were talking about earlier, like the Millie Maker Tournament. Just one of these ones where you can throw in a low amount of money and win, like, life-changing stuff. So let's talk about how you budget yourself there. Like, let's say you had a theoretical budget of $100 for the week uh i think we're going to be in agreement here but would you rather go with 520 dollar entries 24 dollar entries or try to max out uh something like the quarter arcade or or the mini max 50 cent tournament obviously your your ceiling on how much you can win is going to be lower going by the low budget way but you're going to make up for that potentially with more entries let's start with you jonesy
1: yeah i i'm of the mindset that i want to max out as many things as i possibly can um So I I typically tend to play, you know, just build as many lineups as I can possibly fit into the quarter arcade. And this really goes for any sport. It's not just NFL. Like I try to max out, you know, as many single entries, three entry maxes, things like that for, uh, for like golf as well. Um, I, I think I played the Millie maker like once last year, maybe twice, just because I don't, I, like I said before, I don't play, I don't have the bankroll to feel comfortable that I'm not like just giving away EV, like just hemorrhaging EV in the Millie Maker tournament if I'm only putting like two lineups in. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I typically tend to max out as much as I can at the lower stakes um, where I feel like I still sort of have an edge over people. And like I said before, you could still you know, you, you have a good hit in some of these smaller, uh, you have a good core and you can really make some money. So, um, I might not win a million dollars this year, but hopefully I'm just making money all year. That's kind of the goal.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That sounds like a good
1: play. Uh, Amico. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, give me, give me all the entries. Like I, I think like if you're going to play, if you're, if you're serious about being a multi-entry player and that's your strength, that means that you want to have as many entries as possible, right? Like, I, I think that there are there are obviously going to be players who are really, really good with a low number of lineups, and they don't need to multi-enter. If you think though that like you're really good at putting together a portfolio and you know leveraging the field over like a, a certain amount of entries, like get those entries in. Like, play play the mini-max, play the quarter. Like, it's not there's nothing wrong with playing those tournaments. You know, like there's still honestly like some pretty good prizes, especially early on in the NFL season. And, uh, you know, you're giving yourself more shots and you're playing your strengths. So, and for me, that's definitely in the multi-enter game. So I would like to, uh, I would like to max the low dollar, please.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, sa- it may sound obvious, but I don't think that everybody does it, which is why I wanted to talk about
1: no, it. No, no, definitely. Definitely. You know, like, Most people don't do it. I think they want to go up in stakes. Yeah.
0: Right. So like, yeah, I- I'm with you guys hundred percent. Uh, I love maxing out the smaller stakes tournaments. You know, it, it gives you a better shot of winning, obviously. And if you feel like, like Anthony said, if you feel like one of your strengths is finding, you know, uh, low owned plays or whatever, it, it gives you more of a chance to get those guys into the correct lineups. And you can leverage sort of the field and their ownership that way. Um, I also think, and again, this might be obvious, but I think the competition's a little easier, you know, like if you don't want to play awesome And his 150 lineups that he's going to have in the millionaire maker, then don't do it. Right. Like (laughs) put 150 in the quarter where he's probably, I mean, maybe he is there. I don't know, but he's probably not there.
1: Not not allowed to be, not allowed to be experienced players can't play under like $5 contests. That's why, that's why I think that that's smart. Like if you're like a new player or you're, you have like a smaller bankroll, like why are you trying to play higher stakes? Like you're you not playing your strengths and you're playing against better players, like play against worse players, play against people like me. Like don't, <laughs> don't play against, don't play against awesome. like that's, that's not smart.
0: That said, I will have, uh, at least one millionaire maker lineup every week because I am a degenerate. Um, let's talk about ownership a little bit. This is obviously a huge deal in, uh, tournaments, are you trying to be contrarian with all of your selections? Is it okay to play the chalk here and there? And are there certain positions where you think it's better to be con- more contrarian than others? So, again, let's start with you, uh, Anthony.
1: Uh, so, just just in general, I mean, just I... Rip,
0: just rip yeah. whatever you want to say about ownership.
1: <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm an ownership whore. Like, that's the long and the short of it. Like, I... I live for the low owned plays. I, I think this is why, like, I'm I'm kind of a tournament player. But, like, you want to have the best plays also. I know that that sounds dumb. But, like, we talked on the last show about, like, the chalky running backs and stuff like that. Like, those are the guys you want to play. Like, I don't care. I don't care how much, like, a 4K David Johnson is owned. Like, I'm going to just rip him in all the lineups. <laughs> but you want to diversify somewhere. You know, again, like, I think you want to have, like, The target the target ownership for me in a lot of my tournament teams is like 150% predicted, you know, no matter whatever site you use, you know, Labs or Daily Roto, whatever it is. Like, that's kind of where I'm living. And I'm okay getting there. And I think it's probably optimal to get there with like one or two chalk plays and then, you know, a few mid plays and then one or two guys that are, you know, 5% or less. Like, I think that that's that's optimal. Like, you don't want to have... like. Ultimately, the reason a lot of these guys are chalk is because they're good plays. And I don't think that you can get the best lineup fading all of them every week. It just seems very, very minus CB.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's 100% correct. Like, you need the chalk. Not all of the chalk, but you're going to need some of the chalk most weeks. You know, the chalk is the chalk for a reason, and it's because they're the best plays. Like, most of the time, you're going to need at least a couple of those guys in your lineup. You know, I talk specifically about the low owned running backs on our cash game show. Like, I'm not fading a single one of those guys this year. You know, I may not play them, you know, in all of my lineups, but I'm going to be overweight on the cheap running backs that are expected to have big workloads, because that's a spot that it's almost impossible to find that production elsewhere. I think the high, you know, like the high dollar plays, you can fade some of those guys. And I think the nut fades are, you know, like a, a low-owned play that is getting a ton of love for a matchup or for something like that. Like those those plays I think are fine to fade. But for the most part, the cheap running backs, I, I want all of them. Uh Jonesy, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, you guys took all the good stuff. Like that, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Like I think people especially like you know, like friends of mine who just, you know, put in a hundred dollars at the beginning of the year and, you know, take five shots at the milli week one, and then never like redeposit because they're out of money already. Like th- those people, like casual people get, I think, get way too lost in ownership and go like crazy off the board everywhere. Like you, like you guys said, you need <laughs> most of the time, we're pretty good at identifying at least the most obvious plays. So if you don't have Some of those guys, you have to be really good (laughs) to be like completely contrarian and actually have a good lineup at the same time. Like you can't you can't avoid it all year because you're going to end up losing money.
0: Yep. And I think just to put some numbers to this, uh, Adam Levitan broke down like the winning uh, Millie Maker lineups last year and 83 percent had at least one player who was 20 percent owned or more. So like the chalk is fine there, but they brought down their average cumulative ownership below 15% by using guys who were 5% owned or less, or in a lot of cases, like one or 2% owned. So you want to be contrarian in certain spots, obviously, but that doesn't mean you need to be contrarian everywhere. Okay. Let's get into some positional specific stuff, starting with quarterbacks. Um, again, we talked a lot about, you know, cash game selection on our last show at all these positions. So we're going to kind of, uh, reference back to that at times. So I would recommend checking that episode out if you haven't already listened, but let's start by just in general. How does your GPP quarterback selection different from your cash games? Uh, Jones.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're, we're still looking for, um, basically the same like Vegas information for the most part, right? Like we're still looking for, for high totals and things like that. But the, the only real difference when I'm building, you know, if I'm going to build 20 lineups or 50 lineups, or 150 lineups, I'm really just trying to pick quarterbacks who I'm willing to stack and sort of going off of there. Like there aren't, I don't really think there's a time that I've built a, a, a lineup with a a quarterback naked like at least not most of the time so i'm really just basing it on which sacks i'm comfortable with and just rotating trying to get exposure to uh, you know uh, maybe a two uh, a two to three um touchdown game and then really i try not to go for any quarterbacks that i don't think will hit the three could hit the 300 yard bonus that's kind of where i'm at usually like i I'm sure I have before, but I try to avoid that as much as possible. Like if they have no shot at 300 yards, then I'm, I'm really trying to avoid them. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a DK specific bonus, but
0: that can definitely be uh, a nice boost to your team. If you have a QB that can get to 300 yards,
1: I'm a, I'm a company guy. I got to play. I got to play <laughs> draft. Is that right for them? Yeah. I
0: mean, at this point, like DK is just so much better than FanDuel. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not a company guy, even though I do go on the DK uh, live show occasionally. Like, I would have no problems trashing them if they weren't <laughs> so much better than Fanduel.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Amico, how does your GPP selection differ than your cash selection at QB?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if it changes a ton. I mean, I I think I'm a little less. I guess uh, the big thing is I'm a lot less price sensitive. Like, I really just want to look for the spots that I think could blow up. And I think in the cash show, like I pretty clearly showed a tendency to go a little cheaper. Um I'm not really, I don't really care as much about price. I'm looking for the best play agnostic of price and not necessarily because uh, I don't care about price, but because like the guy that scores the most points, like not only is he going to be really good at his position, but likely you're going to have a really good stack. And uh I think you really want to have you really not that you need it, but I think in most cases you do need a really good stack to to take in a tournament.
0: Yeah, I did find it interesting again in that Levitan piece that uh forty-five percent of millionaire maker winners spent less than six K on their quarterback, and only twenty-three percent of the field did that. So personally it, it feels like spending down a QB is a good strategy in big tournaments because I think the field is less likely to do it. And, you know, like a good game from a low price quarterback can give you just a a huge Lego. So I think honestly, all things considered, like I'm probably very rarely going to pay up for the Tom Brady's and Ben Roethlisberger's of the world.
1: I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, like I I read that same piece and obviously it was really, really good. Like, I, I think my, my like idea is that like, in cash i'm willing to play the guy that like is just like (laughs) stoneman floor like we don't we don't but like in in tournaments like you really need the raw points like you can't a guy that scores 15 at quarterback like isn't going to win you a tournament so like those guys are kind of out of the player pool for me yeah i
0: guess i guess that's what we should specify is that like spending up at qb for you means like Moving from 4500 to like 5500.
1: So <laughs> gotta stay on so brand.
0: We may be talking about the same guys, but we're just doing it in a different fashion. Um, yeah, cause I'm like, uh, you know, we, we talked about it last week, but I'm never playing the backup QB who is getting a spot start type guy. Um, another thing I think that's helpful for GPP quarterbacks is just go down like a level or two in terms of the Vegas data. Like, you know, that the team with the, 27 and a half point implied team total is going to be the highest owned quarterback. Their pass catchers are going to be the highest on stack. So instead of playing that guy, go down to the team that is at home still, but maybe is only implied for 24 points. Like you're not giving up a ton of equity, but you're going to get a much nicer uh, ownership on those guys. And I think that, you know, their ceilings is probably similar in most cases, especially if it's a talent, if it's a talented QB, who's maybe not in a great matchup. So I think you can still leverage Vegas information. Just don't play the top guys. It's the same way like in baseball. I just never play the team with the top implied run total of the day. And that seems to work out just fine. Um, let's talk stacking. You brought it up a little bit, Jones. Are you always stacking a QB with a pass catcher? Uh, what do you think about doing like double or triple stacks where you're doing multiple teammates with the quarterback? And how do you feel about stacking with someone else on the opposing team? Like, for example, if uh, the Jets play the Patriots, do you want to stack, you know, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, and then run it back with like Robbie Anderson on the other side?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it makes it, it's obviously situation dependent, and it's definitely dependent on how many lineups I'm making. But if there's if I'm going to make 150 lineups, I am absolutely there's absolutely going to be game stacks in there. There's absolutely going to be double stacks in there. Um I'll run it back with somebody like I'll do I'll do all of that because you're just trying to hit the right combination. So um just generally I like I said before I really I don't I hardly ever will just run out a quarterback and have no like correlated play whatsoever with it because I just think you're giving up a ton of ceiling um, when you do that. Again, you know we're talking about GPPs here, so that's really what we're chasing. So yeah, I I stack as many different ways as I can possibly think of stacking when I'm building multiple lineups for sure. Amico, yeah, I'm all about the stack. I mean i I really rarely go naked QB. I just think it's really difficult to get, like, the huge the huge DK scoring or even FanDuel, like, it's really hard to get a really high-scoring quarterback just on the ground. I mean, sometimes Cam rushes for, like, two or something like that, but chances are if the quarterback – chances are the quarterback that's in the winning lineup is going to have, like, some other player on his team in that lineup. Yeah. I think the math checks out on that.
0: I think I'm, I think I'm going to be doing less stacking this year, I've decided. Like, especially – there are two situations where I think it makes sense to – maybe not stack your QB. You've talked about one, which is the rushing quarterback. Like if you're going to play Cam or you're going to play Russ or Deshaun Watson, I guess, like, you know, it might make sense to to go naked with just that guy since his production can come on the ground. And like if he does have a wide receiver that scores a 100 yards and a touchdown, like that is like you can duplicate that with someone that's not on his team. You know, and it's going to give you a nicer ownership base. Um, I also think that if you want to stack like the super chalky team, like let's say the Patriots are implied for 30 points. Like if you play Tom Brady, just Tom Brady, even if he's 20% owned, the people that are playing Brady by himself is going to be, you know, sub 5%. Like it's going to be much less if you're playing just Brady alone. Compared to Brady versus Gronk, Brady, Brady versus Hogan, something like that. So, uh, I think that that's actually like a, an interesting way to make your lineup unique. And again, going back to that Levitan piece, like only 79% of winners had a QB stack. Like that number is obviously big, but I would, I would bet that more than 79% of the lineups in the Millimaker feature a stack like I would bet it's it's 90 plus maybe even 95 plus like everybody stacks everybody stacks
1: yeah I, I think so for me a lot of this stuff and whether it's naked QB or naked. um like two uh you know like the double stack or like running it back like all of these things you have to you have to weigh like percent chance of winning versus like your percent against the field right like like in this case like you're saying okay like the chances of you winning is probably better than the percent of people doing it like i probably agree with that but like there's still not a great chance of you winning like i i think that's like the balance you know what i'm saying like i i'm not that i would never go naked qb but i think that's why i'm still like kind of low on it is that i think like your overall chance of winning still isn't great if that makes sense it's kind of like what we talk about on the land of points, with like the the high odds bets, even if they're like good bets.
0: I'm going naked this year. I'm telling you guys <laughs> right now, I'm gonna have a lot of naked QB. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I love it. Um, and I think that double stacking uh, has become like a little more popular over the past year. I Definitely. think that uh, maybe overutilized right now. The the one stack that I love is running it back with somebody on the other team. especially if you're loading up on a QB receiver stack. Like the only way that those two guys are going to hit, you know, tournament winning expectation is if somebody on the other team is keeping the game competitive. So I love the thought of like, if you're going to like a game stack, like Joan said, like if you want to stack Brady Gronk and Chris Hogan week one for all of those guys to hit expectation, you need to run it back with a receiver or something on the other team. Like I think that that's a must if you're uh, going to do a, a a big quarterback pass catcher stack. All right, let's move on to running backs. Uh this is an interesting one I think. You know, like running backs we we've talked a lot about on the cash show. How does your running back selection differ cash game versus GPP, Amigo?
1: Yeah, I mean I think I think at its core we're still looking for high you know high uh team totals we're still looking for big favorites a lot of the same stuff um for me i think where i'm going to differentiate the most is going to be at some of these other positions so at running back it doesn't change a lot for me but i'm probably going to give uh you know some more some more love to like the third fourth fifth best play of the week as opposed to like the first and second best play of the week like the guy's the guys who are cash options, I will still have, but I will likely be underweight unless it's like one of those, uh, you know, cheap volume situations. Uh, and then I'm probably going to play the guys that are like third, fourth, fifth best plays. Uh, and just kind of like as a general, like a general rule of thumb for me at the skill positions is I really don't play anyone in a tournament that I don't think can score at least, you know, that can score multiple touchdowns. Um, and, you know, there's obviously a, a bunch of players that I think that that applies to. On DraftKings, you can be a little more liberal because if they catch passes, they could still accrue like a bunch of points, especially the cheaper guys. But uh, in general, uh, I'm looking for guys who can score touchdowns and I am looking for guys who are still like in a general, in generally speaking, a good position, um, you know, a cash position. I, you know, the guys that maybe The guys that maybe you wouldn't play in a cash game that you would play in a tournament would be like, you know, the stud guys and bad matchups stuff like that. But those ultimately are still guys who are like three, four, five, like best overall plays in the slate.
0: Yeah. I think one thing in particular you said that, that I want to hammer home is you need to hunt multiple touchdown upside. Like I look through all the guys who scored 30 plus points at the running back position and very rarely is it a pass catching type running back. You know, it's a guy who's going to rush for 100 yards or get you like 150 total yards, but they're going to put the ball in the end zone twice at least. So, uh, I, you know, again, running uh touchdowns are hard to predict, but I don't think you want to play the, you know, pass catcher running back for a bad team type of thing. Like you want to look for the guys who are going to score.
1: Yeah. As someone who has played Duke Johnson way too many times in tournaments, (laughs) I can confirm this.
0: (laughs) Uh, Jones, what are your thoughts here?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all the same stuff. Like I, I really just want like a, I sort of want to set my floor with running backs and sort of differentiate elsewhere. Like Amico was kind of saying, because I just don't, I don't feel comfortable chasing random running backs. That often so unless it's One of those situations we reference in the cash Show then it's probably not Going to be somebody that I'm willing to play uh, Even in a GPP Lineup for running back
0: Yeah again like I think too like The high price guys like if Lev Bell is the chalk in a given week I I don't think it's a bad thing to Get off of him and play like A David Johnson or a Zeke Elliott Or something like that it's the cheap Guys that are in the unfatable Spots for me um so speaking of the expensive guys do you think you need to pay up at at least one rb spot like can you put together a team with a high enough ceiling if you're paying down at both rb spots and conversely if you pay up at both spots does that give you enough ceiling with the rest of your lineup uh jones what do you think
1: yeah i mean obviously this there are certain weeks and uh, we'll probably say this like a few times with uh, a few of the other things we wanted to talk about. But there are certain weeks where things are just extremely obvious and you need to like sort of go one way um, in general, just sort of like in a vacuum. I think that you can maybe get away with not paying up for two, but a lot of weeks you need to you need to spend some money on at least one um, it doesn't mean it's the top price guy right but you you can't just go like bargain hunting at both spots and expect to to really you know find those multi touchdown um high volume guys just cuz draftkings doesn't or fanduel or whoever doesn't price them that way like there's you're just you're automatically giving up some touch equity somewhere when you do that so I like to, like I said, build up a floor a little bit with my running back. So that's that's typically that typically means paying up for at least one.
0: Yeah, I think there might be weeks. We'll talk about these, obviously, when we get into the weekly shows, but there might be weeks where you can get away with going down at both spots, like if there are multiple injury situations or things like that. But uh, I think that my default thing here is you pay up at one spot and you look for some value at the second. Like, I think that that, uh, is sort of my MO unless there are extenuating circumstances. So, uh, I don't like to pay up at both spots cause then it's, you're really bargain hunting at the rest of the positions. But I think you want one guy on most weeks. Um, Anthony, what do you think here?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I don't have a ton to add, I guess. Like I, I am definitely uh, a lot more willing to be frisky at running back. I have made some really bad running back plays. Over my time as a DFS player, I mean, in tournaments, you just need like, like, like you said, like one guy you probably want to pay for. I don't typically, I don't typically play like the Lev Bell types in tournaments unless they're in like a bad matchup and are contrarian. Like, I, I don't really like to do chalk high price um, in tournaments. So, I like, I guess I want to have like a little bit of touch security, but I definitely. I definitely get down with like some mid-tier guys and uh, try to bargain hunt a little bit, maybe, you know, to my detriment. But I think that like, you know, there's enough, there are enough guys who get work where like there's a ton of these guys in like the mid range where the matchup isn't great or there's like a couple other guys people are on and you can kind of, you can kind of live like in the 5k range, 5, 6k range.
0: How do you feel about the QB RB stack? We talked about this on our cash show and kind of said that it's a good floor play, but I do think that if you're looking for an offense that's, you know, is can score 40 or something like that, like you can find enough ceiling as well. Like Amico, do you uh, ever get down with the QB RB stack and if so, would you only ever do just those two or is it part of like a general overall team stack?
1: I've definitely done a running back stack, uh, but I very rarely will stack just the quarterback and the running back. Like if I'm if I'm doing uh, a running back in a stack with my quarterback, chances are it's like a full team stack or like a two way stack. So I'll stack like you know, I don't know, Ben Bell and like Juju, and then I'll run it back with someone on the other team. Um, yeah, I'll do that, but I I don't very often do. I, I don't very rarely, if ever, will I do QB running back. That's more of like a floor play for me.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um.
1: Yeah, I I looked into this a little bit because uh, I was working on an article because we talked about how much of a fish I am about like defense stacks <laughs> and, or defense in general. And so I ended up playing around with the labs like they have like the correlation matrix or whatever. And as you sort of go into more favorable situations, like as you, you know, the spread gets higher and the team totals get higher and things like that, the uh, we like we always preach or not we I guess because we haven't preached anything yet because it's our second show (laughs) but like generally (laughs) like the community preaches like doing you know the running back defense stack and QB to RB1 is more correlated than RB1 to defense in like every positive situation to the point where like if you have a five point favorite and it's like you know 44 to 46 point like once you get up to like a, a, a reasonable total not like you know a 55 total or something stupid but when you have a five plus point favorite with a 46 plus uh total it's like double correlated like qb to rb1 has a 0.34 r squared like that's rb1 to defense is 0.13 like It's it's kind of interesting to me. I I don't I've never really thought about it that much, but I'm definitely going to incorporate that a little bit more um, this year after seeing that, because I think that it's probably a decent differentiator for your lineup if you're just doing quarterback and running back. And, you know, there's there's some there's some correlation there. So I think it's I think it's worthwhile and maybe could access a little bit more ceiling depending on how you play it and what situation you're in.
0: Yeah, I think for sure if you think that the running back is involved enough in the pass game, a QB RB only stack could be interesting. Like uh, Breeze to Kamara is one that stands out. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that um, Cam to McCaffrey will be popular, you know, because he's basically a wide receiver at this point. But like, yeah, I think if you look at at situations like that, you probably can go uh, you know, naked QB RB.
1: Right.
0: And I do agree that the RB defense stack is like probably the most overrated stack yeah. in fantasy right now. Um we'll talk about a little bit more about defenses, but like
1: You know I like it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> you love the defense RB stack? Huge huge surprise that I like something that's not as good as actually I think it is. <laughs>
0: i mean like in in theory it makes sense if you're gonna find a defense that's gonna hold the the opposing offense to like under 10 points but we we mentioned last week about how you're basically just hunting for touchdowns with your defense so i don't know we'll get into that a little further um another thing that i think is interesting is what do you do with your flex spot in gpps we mentioned we liked RBs and Anthony stand very hard for tight ends in the flex. E. I think it, the strategy is, is definitely a little bit different for me, at least in GPPs. What do you guys think?
1: I'm, I'm mostly running back wide receiver. I actually don't do, I'm like invert of what I do in, in cash. Like I'm definitely down for the double tight end and running back. And then I think in tournaments, I'm still definitely okay with playing running backs. I actually think that running backs are probably a little underrated in the flex. But I, uh, I also really like the wide receivers, just because those two positions, just in terms of raw points, like have the highest ceiling. Even if it's like, you know, a 4K receiver versus a 4K tight end, like the 4K tight end might have the better floor and be like a better cash play, but that 4K wide receiver or running back uh, could certainly still uh, score like multiple touchdowns or hit the yardage bonus, stuff like that. Stuff that uh, tight ends typically don't do. So I, uh, I try to be on those positions more. Jonesy. Yeah, I mean, like I sort of alluded to before, I think there are very um there are pretty obvious weeks where like there it's you just have to go three RBs in your lineup in most of your lineups. Um I typically am just like like I've mentioned multiple times, just the biggest fish, like just chasing stupid wide receivers in the flex most of the time, which is I think a leak in my game that I'm trying to work on. Um so if there's like an obvious value, and I want to maybe pay up for a couple of running backs, then sometimes that cheap running back gives me like the the I guess opportunity to go three running backs. But it's uh, it's pretty weak dependent.
0: Yeah, I think uh, may, and maybe this makes me a fish too, but I am looking for receivers in the flex spot. Yeah, like I I, I I'm not opposed to playing three RBs, but I just think that in a vacuum the wide receiver versus the running back at the same price point has more of a ceiling. And I looked into it a little bit, like obviously there are more receivers. So these numbers are a little skewed in that direction. But I looked at running backs who have scored at least 30 points and wide receivers who have scored at least 30 points. And unsurprisingly, there have been a lot more receivers that have done it. 236 receivers have had a game of at least 30 plus DK points in our database compared to just 145 running backs. So again, like each team typically leans on two or even three receivers versus just one running back per team, so we probably should expect wide receivers to come out ahead in that department, but I still think that means that the receivers are giving us more of a ceiling on a weekly basis.
1: And it's just more fun. Like just you want to <laughs> see like your your random wide receiver just catch a bomb rather than like, hope, rather than like hoping your running back like sees volume. Like it's so boring. Like I'd rather I'd rather <laughs> just have like a flashy wide receiver and just like swag out my lineup.
0: Yeah. All about swaggy lineups. Gotta agree with that. Um I think wide receiver is probably the best spot to look for those, you know, five percent to one percent type of plays that we were mentioning earlier. Like, do you guys agree with that? And if so, how do you identify some of these guys? Amico.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Uh, Wide receiver, I think, is probably the most variant position. It's the position where the volume week to week can really heavily swing one way or the other. Like, even a guy like Antonio Brown, who is, like, on the at the end of the year, is going to have, like, that 30% market share. Uh, Like, he could be 20% for a week, and that means, like, Juju Smith-Schuster or... James Washington, like they get a bump in targets for that week or they make a really long play, stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'm looking for typically the guys that I really like in tournaments are like the wide receiver two or the wide receiver three in one of those really high scoring games. So if uh, like New England and uh, Houston is like a really high total for week one, like I'm sure a ton of people will play Chris Hogan, but like maybe Philip Dorsett is like a decent tournament play because He's he gets scored.
0: cheap too
1: right cheap and can score so that's that's really the kind of the kind of guys that I'm looking at um you know obviously you still want to mix in some of those other guys who are like ha- you know hashtag good plays but in terms of the contrarian options I'm, I'm really looking at the high totals and the guy who isn't the lead guy you know two or three on the depth chart so you'd rather play a wide receiver two
0: for a, a team with a high implied total than like a wide receiver one for a team that's not in a good spot.
1: Um, I mean, I guess it depends how bad the spot is, I guess. Cause I think both of those guys are probably not going to be terribly owned. Um, I, it, it probably depends on the spot, but I, I usually am really high. I'm usually very, very heavy on on the guys in, in the good spots, but are not top of the deck short. So, yeah, I think I'm going in the opposite direction because, like,
0: I do think that those wide receiver two types will end up in stacks, and that's going to elevate their ownership a bit. So, like, I'm only going to play them if I'm also stacking. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, like, Juju, right? Juju probably will have more ownership than expected because there are going to be people who stack him with Big Ben. You know, people that are like, oh, I'm going to avoid the, a, B, Big Ben stacks. so I'll go Juju. Like, I think that, and that's going to elevate his ownership compared to somebody for a different team. So I probably w- will avoid those for the most part in GPPs, but I do think that um, for stacks in general, like, that does make sense. But as far as, like, naked wide receivers go, and naked is the word of the day in the LaMarca household, apparently.
1: We're all naked. Um,
0: I'm going to be going with more, like, guys on teams that aren't getting a lot of love. Uh, Jonesy, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I I pretty much agree. The the other thing that I sort of look for, I referenced it last week like going on um you know, air yards and looking to see like where uh where a defense sort of loses coverage and if I can find a wide receiver that fits in that mold, then that kind of works for me. But I also try to like build um sort of like complementary position groups in my lineup so like if i'm if the guy that i'm paying up for and is chalky is like a real you know possession receiver like you have like a a target hog like keenan allen or or fitzgerald or somebody like i'll try to get like some big like boom play guys in there like if i'm going to pay up for somebody who is more of like a boom bust play then i'll try to lock in Um, a few more targets. Like I try to, I try to build my lineups through that lens and try and go that way. So I guess it depends on the week, but wide receiver is definitely the best place to find those like swagged out guys and just like crush and, and just high five everybody and love life at the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah. Boom plays, uh,
0: you know, boom bust type guys are definitely your friend for, uh, GPPs at the wide receiver spot
1: you guys want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league, we'll look no further and download squad QL, the only mobile app that you need to crush your friends and rivals this year. Squad QL recommends the best starting lineup for you each week based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool. Jones, you may be asking how does squad QL actually do this? Well, the app connects directly with your Yahoo ESPN and CBS leagues, pulling in your actual roster and your league scoring system. squad QL, Provides waiver and trade recommendations, plus the app gives you player rankings each week, and it's all based on your league settings. SquadQL truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season. Head to SquadQL.com to download SquadQL. Your all-in-one fantasy football manager. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer, trusted by a hundred thousand DFS players. You can also download VotoQL for free for both Apple and Android. I mean, Jones, I have to imagine, like, you're going to be a dad literally within hours. Like, thanks, for, thanks for continuing to remind me. <laughs> squad, I'm just trying to prepare you. Squad QL, like, this is, this is a saver for you, you know? You swaddle, so much you swaddle, you rock a little bit, and you just you set all your lineups in Squad QL. I think it's very nice. Just at the touch of a button, what could be better?
0: I need an app that's actually going to do the waivers for me. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten to a point where, like, I'm so lazy with my seasonal teams. Like, I need an app that's literally going to just pick up guys for me. Yeah. That's the only way I'm going to win the Lindy League this year. <laughs> I'm going to enlist a co-owner to help me.
1: The infamous Lindy League.
0: Yeah, Jones, you can't be in. You're not from Lindy. Sorry, bud. Sorry, I got my Freeport League. Don't worry. The port. Um. All right, let's move on to tight ends. So a big topic of our cash game tight end show was the idea of should you or should you not pay up for Gronk? Are you more likely or less likely to pay up for Gronk in GPPs? Jonesy.
1: I mean, I'm always tempted to, but it's sort of the same thing that I, I fell into with, uh, you know, as far as building cash lineups. Like, I just always like other plays elsewhere, like at other positions, to the point where I end up running out of money by the time I get to tight end um and defense. So I usually just end up not really, you know, not really paying much attention there. I'd rather just find like a cheaper guy um that hopefully has some access to some touchdowns. So I'm definitely not like completely opposed to playing Gronk, obviously, but I think that I'd probably roster him less than than normal. Uh, the normal player
0: yeah I mean my odds of paying up for Gronk in cash are basically zero so math would say that I had there has to be more of a chance that I'm likely to pay up for him in GPPs but like you said I I still think that I'm doing that way less than the field does.
1: yeah like he on on labs I looked it up and just like it's not like a smash play just in a vacuum all the time like people view it as it's always going to work and he has like a forty six and a half percent consistency, so like it isn't working every single time like you obviously can up those odds if you're playing the right matchups and you know getting getting him in the right situation, but in general, it's not like you should just be plugging him in and playing him every single week
0: right, and that consistency rating is only you know in the, it, it's like that's only he only hits that when he scores enough points to clear his salary, right? Like, yeah. for Gronk to really pay off in GPPs, he needs the the super Gronk week. You know, he needs the two touchdowns with close to 100 yards, which that will happen a couple of times this year, but I still think that it's overvalued in tournaments right now. Um, Amiko, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I always want to buy variants at the onesie positions where I can, um, but I, I do think that, like, Gronk especially... Since this is the a Gronk uh, Gronk only topic, like I love I, it. Yeah, like I, <laughs> you really have to be sensitive to his price, even in tournaments, because when he's running well, he's gonna be like 7K, seven k, seventy two hundred. When he has like that run where he doesn't score, which like is gonna happen at some point, or you know, at least eventually, he's gonna get down to close to like six k, and that's where I'm like a lot more likely to play him kind of heavily because. I mean he's always a, a threat to score twice. He has yeah. the highest upside of the position. I do want to buy that, but I want to buy it when it's I still want to be price sensitive with him.
0: Yeah, I mean the fact that the guy has his own segment probably uh says all you need to know about him. Like there are going to be weeks where he's in the win- the winning lineup for sure. Yeah. Um let's let's talk just philosophy, tight end position cash versus GPP. I mean honestly, I think my my philosophy is pretty much the same in both formats. Like, I'm looking for a cheap guy who's going to be able to score, you know, at least once. Does your philosophy change at all? Like, are you playing the Kelsey's and the Ertz's maybe a little bit more in GPPs? Like, I, I personally, maybe that's a hole in my game that I'm not doing enough, but I very rarely am spending up at tight end. What do you think, Amico?
1: Yeah, I, I love tight ends. I, I'm a tight end whore in all facets of life. Like, I, it's season-long, DFS. That can be taken the wrong way. That That's guy fine. likes the tight end in all facets of life. The, listen, the listeners need to get to know me, you know? Um, I mean, I just think that, that tight ends, like, while the while the upside overall at the position is worse than at other positions, like, these are guys that score touchdowns, typically. And especially, like, in the good offenses, uh, where we expect a lot of points to be scored, touchdowns going to the tight end is, is not very uncommon. So, yeah, you know, the guys like uh, Kelsey or Ertz, like especially if you're stacking with a quarterback, uh, I definitely like playing uh, those tight ends. Jonesy, yeah, I mean, again, it's it's really in my portfolio. If I'm building 150 lineups, like there's definitely going to be times where I'm paying for Kelsey and Ertz in stacks, um, but. For the most part, I would say that I tend to really just gravitate towards not like total punts, but like pretty close to it. And I'm just looking for the situation that I think might lead to a touchdown. Like I don't I I just like I said, I fall in love with too many other plays and then I run out of money. Like it's you know, it's like my life. Like I just I run out of money before I think I will. And then I'm left (laughs) with like shitty stuff, you know? Sorry, I don't know if I could say that, but
0: no, it's, it's <laughs> totally fine. I, I love it. The tight end section is where we find out that Amico likes a nice tight end <laughs> in all facets of life, and that Jones has money problems in certain yeah. areas. What are you going to do?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that teacher life. I oh, hey. do preach.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think you guys all touch on a lot of good things. Like the one thing I will say is that like if you're paying cheap, like if you're paying a 3k tight end, like I think his ability to get up and match what the top guys at the position do is a little bit easier than, you know, the 3k wide receiver, the four, you know, the 3k running back. So that's that I guess is the real reason why I pay down most weeks. But yeah, I do hear you like there is definitely some merit to looking for a higher price guy. I mean, I know, especially like, jordan reed right now not to get into a full week one preview but if jordan reed is healthy at 4k week one like that's a guy that i will definitely break my rule for
1: yeah and if you want to be able to play him you should do it sooner than later because he will fall apart at some point <laughs> right how dare you <laughs> read this <lives> forever <laughs> um all right amika
0: will you play a tight end in the flex and gpps you are the tight end man you love the tight end you stand like- hard in cash
1: I like him in all facets of life except my GPP flex. Okay. <laughs> I uh, I mean, just for all the reasons we were just talking about, like the general upside there just isn't as good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'd rather just play a cheap wide receiver or running back.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement there, right, Jonesy? Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to defenses.
1: How dare you test my loyalty, by the way?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted it on the record. Um, defense is one of the positions I think – maybe even the highest position where you're going to see like some super heavy chalk. Like I know that there's always one or two defenses that are going up against a bad offense that are going to be like super chalky. Like I think uh, Baltimore plays the bills week one. You can pencil them in for 20 plus percent in most GPPs. How do you feel about uh, like, how do you handle those defenses? Are you ever playing them or is it always like a fade situation for you? Amico?
1: Uh, almost always a fade. I mean, so much of what happens at defense, especially in, like from a tournament perspective, is going to be based on touchdowns. And uh, you can't really predict those that well. So I really try to avoid the top like two or three own defenses. If it's like a week where everyone's playing one defense, like I probably will not have very much of that in tournaments. Like obviously you could, you could just straight die in the first like 20 <laughs> minutes of a slate. If, it's the worst. If, if that defense scores, but you just have to do it. Like there's just not even the best, the best defensive play is not going to have like this overwhelming odds to score, you know, one or two defensive touchdowns. Jonesy. Yeah, no, it's, it's not, it's not worth it. I, I don't have a lot to say about it. I just don't do it.
0: Yep, Agreement. Like Amico said, nothing is worse than when you're fading a 30% on defense and they score in the first quarter. But like, it's just such a plus EV situation in the long run to fade those defenses.
1: Yeah, I mean, the good part of that is, like, then you can just go about your day and you don't have to worry about, like, sweating <laughs> anything. So, so you get some plus life EV. You get some life balance there. <laughs> um, all right, what do you
0: think about salary-wise? Like, is there an edge one way or the other, either paying up or, or trying to save and go all the way down? Um, I kind of personally think that, I like to be at the extremes like if there's a, a high price defense that I think is going to be low owned I like those and I also definitely don't mind uh, dumpster diving and looking at the you know really really cheap defenses as long as they're playing for a team that uh, I think is in a good situation Jones what do you think there.
1: Yeah, um, I, I referenced it before. Um, you, can, you can read more of my thoughts uh, probably beginning of next week about defenses. Um, but for, for the most part, um, what, what I noticed when sort of diving into it was the most expensive um, defenses are way less likely to hit their salary expectation and they see higher ownership. So I'm, I'm typically trying to avoid the high-owned, high-priced defenses um, it seems like there's sort of a sweet spot between 3k and 4k where um, they are basically going to give you the same amount of points. Uh, obviously, again, t- touchdowns are touchdowns. Like if you're not finding touchdowns, then you're probably not going to you're not going to hit on a ton. Um, but the expectation doesn't drop off that much between 3k and 4k versus the really expensive defenses and you get an ownership discount. So um, I'm going to try to live there a little bit this year. Um, and like you mentioned, obviously you got to take shots with like the dirt cheap ones and just hope to get lucky with a touchdown. It makes them. I mean, I love paying up for defense. I think that uh, uh, oftentimes like the best real life defenses are at the top of the salary scale. And if they aren't in like a really good matchup, a lot of times uh, those guys aren't terribly owned. So I really like paying up for like Denver and Jacksonville and Baltimore when they're in like a not obvious spot, uh, especially if there's like a cheaper defense, that's very chalky. Uh, I really like to do that. And uh, I obviously really like to stack my running back, which I don't know. Can we we make that a segment next? Cause I I definitely want to get those takes out there. Yeah. Rip it yeah i mean i just think that like the correlation the correlation is what it is right like it's not as good as we think sure but like the point of it and the reason why i like it is like you want to build yourself a narrative in your gpp lineups and like for me especially with the way i play like uh i'm definitely a big vegas guy and i'm really into like the reverse line movement trends and like one of the big trends for me is that like if a if a dog or it doesn't even really matter, I guess, but if a dog is, is starting to creep and we have like a reverse line movement trend and the totals coming down uh to me, that usually speaks to the fact that it's going to be like a lower scoring game, defensive battle, stuff like that. Um And that's where like, I think, you know, you can stack like the quarterback, uh sorry, the defense and the running back, because you have to think about like how this team could possibly compete in a low scoring game where they were, you know, previously, underdogs and and obviously probably public underdogs. So defense is definitely a huge way to do that. So you can't obviously the correlation is never going to be perfect because you need those guys to kind of all score, but I really think that if you're constructing it the right way and you're just not like recklessly stacking running back and defense, uh, that it can be very effective. Yeah, no. I I think there's definitely uh, all any correlation that you look at, there are definitely situations where it like it's you know it's the exception, not the rule. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't be doing that. I just think there to just like you said, just to blindly do it, you're you're probably um, giving away some some equity there. Uh, and again, it's it's very situation dependent. You should be making decisions at all of these positions based on Vegas odds, but also, like you said, tell yourself a story. And if that story comes true, your lineup is going to smash. And that's kind of the point, right?
0: All right. Any closing thoughts that you gentlemen would like to add?
1: Just pumped to see everybody in the lobby again. Let's get it. Amiko,
0: today, 16-game preseason slate. How excited are you?
1: Pretty excited, actually. I mean, uh, this, is, this is typically my highest ROI week of the year. So hopefully we can keep that rolling. <laughs> All right. We'll slide into those DMs then, Anthony. um yeah i guess
0: what i want to say for the rest of you know now now that we're going to be getting into like our weekly format we definitely want to hear what you guys think would make this a fun show um we're going to be competing in a three man every week um so i'm really excited to whoop up on these guys for you know the entire season we're going to be having some side bets me and anthony have already booked one where he's defending the worst quarterback in the league, Eli Manning, and I'm getting the goat. Oh, You're talking about
1: Darnold, sorry.
0: Oh, how dare you? Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, once Eli gets benched for Davis Webb by like week week eight, I smash clean up that bet. So we're gonna have like a nice running list of bets that you guys can follow along with as well. And uh, but yeah, definitely curious if you guys have any suggestions, hit me up on Twitter at Matt Lamarca. You can hit Anthony up. He's at Amixta, and Matt Jones is at Matt Jones TFR. So hop in the mentions, let us know what you guys think. We want to make this, you know, a fun show to listen to. I know there's like literally a thousand NFL DFS shows every week. So we want to do stuff that you guys want to listen to. Uh, All right. So with that being said, that's going to do it for this edition of On The Daily. For Anthony and Matt, I am Matt LaMarca. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Thank you for listening to On The Daily, the Rotoviz Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily dfs at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at OnTheDailyDFS.